0: And I think what we did is exactly what the Center of Theological Inquiry really promotes in the people that attend the programs there. And it's like, think outside your box, think creatively.
1: This is another bonus episode of the Theology Matters podcast, focused on a recent book written by CTI member Brick Johnstone with his collaborator, Daniel Cohen. Published in 2019, the book is titled Neuroscience, Selflessness, and Spiritual Experience, Explaining the Science of Transcendence. This book is a perfect example of the kind of collaborative research that CTI fosters. It's co-written by a neuroscientist, Brig Johnstone, and a scholar of religion, Daniel Cohen. Bringing together their shared expertise, they're able to tackle the question of how we can understand the human experience of transcendence and spirituality, across religious traditions and cultures. I had the great fortune to discuss this book with Brick and Dan and to record the conversation for the Theology Matters podcast. After listening, if you have questions or comments, please send them by email to editor at ctenquiry.org. And we'll try to feature your questions and comments on the next episode of the podcast. Thanks for joining the conversation. Dan Cohen, why don't you start us out and talk a bit about your own research and how how you came to collaborate with Brick on this project.
2: Sure. So um, I have, uh, my my PhD is in anthropology. I'm a cultural anthropologist. I also have a degree in biology. And I have a lot of interest um, in religion and spirituality for a long time. And um, Brick and I met through a a center here at the University of Missouri, uh, the Center for Religion and the Professions. And there were different working groups, and we were the, um, what we call, "brick" the spirituality and health group, I believe. Um, So we started looking at, um, you know, how does spirituality impact health, and we started looking at different um, medical populations, for example. We also looked later at different uh, religious communities here locally. Um, So it just kind of branched branched up, and then we um, uh, were interested in – the relationship between traumatic brain injury um, and what has been seen in some neuroscience research uh, with prayer, meditation, things like that, where um, interesting processes occur and seems that there were some similarities um, in terms of what occurred. So um, we started to explore that. Um, and first series of research kind of came out and Brick was scratching his head, sort of, well, what does this mean? I don't understand. What is this reduced varietal functioning, reduced red atmosphere functioning? Why is this associated with increased spiritual or transcendent dispositions? And, um, you know, that's kind of uh, right before that, I became uh, part of this group. And um, it it kind of made sense to me in terms of my understanding of particularly South Asian religions, which is my area of specialization, Hinduism, Buddhism, for example, Um, these things made a lot of sense this idea of loss of sense of self selflessness connecting to something bigger than than oneself um and and that's kind of how it got off the ground and then you know as as brick and i talked about in the book we uh did a number of different studies in the same area sort of basically three different versions and kept getting the same result um so that was really fascinating so that's how we got hooked together on this and um um, I will say, Brick has been the uh, uh, the leader here, and and really helped develop and conceptualize the model of selflessness. And um, I thought it was incredibly exciting, and I think it has a lot of potential. I don't think we're done at all. I think we're just just getting started in a lot of ways. And the
1: book—oh, ten years! And the book is neuroscience, selflessness, and spiritual experience, explaining the science of transcendence. And so it's co-authored by the two of you, Daniel Cohen and Brick. Big Johnston. It's pretty rare in, in the you know field, especially in the humanities, but I think even in the sciences, isn't it quite rare to co author a book? I'd like to hear, of course, about the book and some of the main themes, but also what were the challenges of, of co authoring a book, <laughs> especially across disciplines?
2: Yeah. Well, there's, there's a prior history. Where obviously, there's a series of articles that came out uh, as well. And um, I think one of the things we discovered is that the approach to information. Uh, data uh, is very different in our in our our disciplines, which we kind of knew on the surface going in. But how does it actually work? So, for example, if I was to handbook a uh, brick a book on uh, religious uh, on say on a religion, a study of a particular religious tradition, uh, he might say, "Great, where's the hypothesis? Where's the data section? I can't find the methodology." Um, so it's a very different type of approach, um, obviously. Um, I think one of the things that assisted us is that you know we are doing something interdisciplinary, which means we both have to reach toward each other's disciplines. And um, what's helped me is that, since I have some background in science, that's helped me explore Brick's literature and make some kind of sense of it. And Brick um, and is incredibly receptive to what's going on on the side of humanities, and he understands increasingly, I think, Um, as we have been collaborating the importance of understanding, uh, neuroscience, for example, through the lens of humanities. So we're trying to bridge between these areas. We're not trying to one up. We're trying to create a productive conversation and, um, increasingly productive research. And I think it's, it's, it's working out.
1: So Brick, maybe say a bit more about your background, uh, in your field and your research that that you brought to bear on this project.
0: Yes, so I'm a neuropsychologist by training, so I've spent the last almost 30 years evaluating and treating people with brain dysfunction. And I've had an interest in, uh, like Dan said, how the humanities can help help um, train healthcare providers and even kind of direct treatment. Uh, there's too much focus on the sciences and kind of like impairments rather than the whole person. Um, so I've just had an interest in religion and spirituality as Dan said, we both got involved in the Center for Religion in the Professions. <clears throat> I think what happened is, as a neuropsychologist, I did research um, on spirituality and I was interpreting everything in terms of science. And it just, you can't interpret spiritual experiences or religion in terms of science. Things weren't making sense. So I had the good fortune to work with Dan. Dan started at the university. And basically he brought a perspective of selflessness and how it relates to religions and particularly ones like Hinduism and Buddhism that have different thoughts of selflessness than Christianity. Um, I brought a perspective of, of selflessness from neuropsychology. And I think what we did is exactly what the Center of Theological Inquiry really promotes in the people that attend the programs there. And it's like, think outside your box, think creatively, and what I think is really important, and I think you just alluded to it, is that the scientists absolutely have to defer to the humanities a lot in order for us to kind of do research such as what happens in the brain during spiritual experiences. So we started out together. I got to CTI, which was absolutely a wonderful experience. There was pretty much was two neuroscience people And the rest were theologians and philosophers, so we just got inundated with um, thoughts and theories that we typically had not been exposed to, and it just it led to other fellowships, like the Templeton one I did in Oxford, and then Dan and I have been working on this book for a while and engaged in different research projects, and here we are.
1: Speak a bit about both of you. I'm just looking through. I've been kind of browsing the book, um, and the ideas of transcendence, the ideas of selflessness. How do you use those terms? And maybe it's different across your fields.
2: First of all, let me just sort of um, pretext this by saying we have tried to write a book that's accessible to as wide of a possible audience, wide of audience as possible. Mm -hmm. And um, so that has caused us at times to make things perhaps more simplified. It's also um, uh, led to, Leaning away from, you know, we use terminology that perhaps is very difficult to define. Self is a very difficult thing to define. And we're not really getting hung up on specific definitions or um, orientations, theoretical orientations. We're trying to borrow a little bit from everything and come up with a a generally coherent model um, that will appeal to many people. And then they can, uh, in their areas of specialization, take it even further. I mean, I think the unifying aspect here is that there seems to be, um, you know, humans seem to have these transcendent experiences. Um, Not all of them are religious or spiritual necessarily, and we're not the first to talk about this, although we certainly talked about it in the book, that there's sort of a a spectrum of transcendent or loss of sense of self experiences. You know, you get engaged in a project you're working on and you lose your sense of self, of of time and space, and then you come back out, oh, gee, that that much time has gone by. Um, All the way up to, you know, very intense um, transcendent experiences, spiritual experiences that may change your life completely. Um, So we certainly, in the history of religions, we certainly see this occurring, many examples, um, uh, both um, first person and um, third person accounts. Um, So I think this is a really fascinating area that deserves future uh, attention, and that's where we've been going. And the last thing I'll say is that coming from Brick's neuropsychology perspective, he has seen that there's sort of something, there seems to be an perhaps a neuroarchitecture here that, that could be or that appears to be um, a universal, a human universal. And that's fascinating to us. And one thing that we understood immediately, and I think I've helped Brick with this a lot early on, is that the difference between the experience and the interpretation experience, those are separate things, related but also separate.
1: But I don't know if I answered your question. I'm sorry. No, I think that was great. I don't know if Rick has anything to add to those questions.
0: Yeah, actually, I think this is really gets to the heart of the matter and particularly how the sciences and humanities have to work together. Mm-hmm. And then a lot, <clears throat> there's a fair amount of work that's been done in the study of transcendence or spirituality or religiosity or mysticism. But what the problem is, the main problem, is nobody knows what each other's talking about. So mm-hmm. what one person says is transcendent, somebody else says is mystical, somebody else says is spiritual, religious, um, Explicit, religiosity, implicit, and nobody knows what they're talking about. So what Dan and I have done from a neuropsychological perspective, I kind of helped define um, selflessness from a neuropsychological perspective. And there's a lot of research in neurology that shows that a certain part of the brain creates a sense of self. And then since the sense of self is a process, you can activate it or you can inhibit it. And what happens when you inhibit it, you become selfless. And also the neurologists and neuropsychologists studying this, they're all focused on brain architecture, like Dan said. So they're going to show what parts of the brain are associated with this selflessness. But that has nothing to do with the experience of transcendence, which is what is of utmost importance. So I brought the perspective of neuropsychology related to the self. And then Dan brought the perspective of the humanities and religious studies. And fascinating for me to learn about concepts of the self in Hinduism and Buddhism. And I'm not even going to try and go there because yeah. Dan knows I just can't. I trip over my tongue. I just can't. Really- let me ex-
2: Let me extend on that a little bit too. Not only in terms of religion, spirituality, but we – at least least a little bit, have touched into aspects of culture as well. And culture is really complicated. And how does culture wire the brain, for example? Um, Very difficult area. But we have found some information that shows that with respect to sense of self, uh, cultural attitudes and dispositions uh, may have a very big impact here. So we understand that, you know, on the one hand, there's this idea of self- From the neurosciences and brick has great expertise in in exploring and works in the area of disorders of the self Um, but on top of that there are uh, ways of culturally uh, processing understanding interacting as a self whatever that might mean and it's very different to give you a, a quick example it's in the book too is that you know even though this is somewhat oversimplified in western perspective we tend to have an individual orientation to the self. Whereas in Asian perspective, often that orientation toward the self is much more collective in terms of group and social dynamic. Um, And those are very interesting things to us, but even despite that, and that certainly has aspects of of influence on neuroarchitecture and things like that. Even despite that, there seems to be something uh, underlying all that uh, that is related to that general human, selfness uh, perspective or selfness feeling uh, that can then, of course, be modulated uh, and become a selflessness and then, of course, interpreted in multiple ways. So again, um, you know, I think my background in religious studies as a South Asian specialist has really helped me. I could sort of tune, tune right into ideas of self and selflessness was it was very friendly to me, user friendly to me, because of my background in religious studies. Whereas Brick, it was very user friendly because of his understanding of uh, neurological disorders of the self. And we wanted to fuse these things together, and I think slowly we're doing that.
1: And Brick, have you seen examples, or can you speak to clinical um, cases where an idea of selflessness can somehow be therapeutic, or, or am I is that one of the ways you might think about it?
0: Yeah, actually, that's another great question. I'm glad that you brought it up because I think a lot of research in this area has been kind of trivial. And I I don't mean to downplay it. It's fascinating and interesting, but to say that transcendence is related to a certain part of uh, the brain or transcendence has many different uh, iterations according to different religious traditions is interesting. But I think we also have an interest about what do we do with this clinically. And as a healthcare provider, um, some of our initial research showed that the more religious you are, or the more spiritual you are, the healthier you are. And that just makes sense, whether it's um, your belief in a loving God or the congregational support that you get um, or better health habits because you're religious. But there's also something about brain functioning that we think is leading to better health. And we think what that is is you diminish focus on the self and that allows you to connect with things beyond the self. And that can be um, the divine, however that divinity is defined, whether it's Christian, Buddhist, um, Hindu, Islam, atheist, the people that are spiritual but not religious. So we're really focusing on how this transcendence, which is based on selflessness, might improve health. So a great example is here working on this military base We see a lot of service members that have a lot of psychological physical and what are termed moral injuries here where they've seen things that are really um, contrary to their moral upbringing or they've done things that are really contrary to kind of their core values and sometimes they've been forced to do these things and it really causes a significant dilemma for how they lead their lives. and In healthcare, we kind of deal with physical and psychological problems, and we don't deal with moral ones. That's usually what chaplains do, but we're trying to address it here. So we have like a two-week program here where we bring in service members, and part of what we do with them is we address moral injury. And we try and look at how they kind of, um, their self, their image of the self has just been distorted because what they've done So we're trying to figure out ways to help them diminish the focus on the self so they can kind of reconnect with things beyond the self because Hmm. they are um, disconnected. So just today, actually, in our email, we found out that three service members that were treated here at our military base committed suicide within the last week. We're trying to figure out, like, how do we deal with this? And just doing the traditional... Psychological interventions, cognitive behavioral therapy, it's not enough. for just dealing with uh, medications to, to improve physical conditions, not enough. So these are things that we're trying to expand our research to, into to make it more practical.
1: Hmm. That's fascinating. And Dan, does that accord with anything you've sort of, the way you come at your issues from a more uh, religious studies perspective?
2: Well let me let me loop back to what we were talking about a little earlier how we interconnect religious studies and neuropsych um, you know one of the things we see in many religious traditions are rituals that are geared toward losing the sense of self temporarily not not usually not permanently um and so that's fascinating that seems to be a fairly common um aspect that we see across all kinds of traditions um uh practices etc and um so what's interesting um is that from a religious studies perspective there seems to be something going on for the history of humanity as long as humans have had religious and spiritual orientations uh to do things to lose sense of self Um, on the other side um, in in neuropsych um, there's a whole category of sort of disorders of the self not necessarily always disorders perhaps but um, we found it fascinating that when you look at what's going on what's happening in these rituals and what's happening in these for example in in brain injury uh, or loss of sense of self from neuropsych perspective uh, seems to have an overlap seems to be related to each other um, in terms of of neurological and neurophysiological uh, aspects so that was just fascinating to us and it Seem to be, a, that just can't be a coincidence. There must be something that underlays that. And I think that has a lot to do with the development of this model of selflessness that we have generated.
1: Just as a last question, get each of you to speak to this perhaps. Is there, you know, one or two big ideas or even perhaps smaller ideas from the book that you are excited about and really hope uh, the reader takes away from it?
0: I, yes. Go ahead, Brick. This is what I would suggest. So if, if you read the book, there's a couple, um, I think that the takeaway message is that we've discovered a neuropsychological process that's not been well understood. Um, the neuroscience people have, have identified this process and tried to focus on the parts of the brain related to the sense of self. Um, but this sense of self, it just isn't associated with disorders. It also serves as the basis by which individuals relate to their world. And what it really boils down to in simple terms, it's stated in the book in a couple places, that the right pride lobe very generally integrates experiences into the sense of self, which is best described as a sense of mindness. And we don't really understand that until you kind of hurt that part of the brain. And then you get disorders like people who deny that their left arm is theirs or they can't recognize themselves in a mirror. It's fascinating. And that's what people in the neuroscientists have focused on. But by working with the humanities, we've said that, you know what? People can learn to turn off that sense of self, that sense of mindness, and that can lead to mystical experiences. So one of the things that I've enjoyed most as a neuroscientist is reading some of these religious texts or personal writings of mystics that Dan has shared with me and they all talk about their experiences in terms of there is no sense of self. It's kind of like I feel connected to everything and there's no self. The next step that we've taken from looking at just the neuropsychology of selflessness and transcendence, we're looking at like the neuropsychology of selflessness and virtues what we're finding is just the exact opposite of what we found with transcendence. So, for example, in order for you to be empathetic, you have to have a really strong sense of self. Because we initially said that, you know what, to be empathetic, I have to give up myself and focus on the other. What we found is, people with brain injury, you have to have a strong right parietal lobe functioning. And that allows you to take the perspective of other people and make it yourselves, your own. Mm. Um, We've done other research with forgiveness, and what we found is forgiveness is involved with a decreased sense of self. So people who hurt the right hemisphere of their brain, they focus less on the self, and therefore they can be more forgiving because like, they've given up the focus on the perceived wrong to the self. So what we really wanna do is get people from the sciences and the humanities engaged in the studies of human behaviors maybe on spiritual experiences and virtues and how they relate to either increased or decreased sense of self.
2: I mean, one of the things that, that is is extremely important is that, you know, religious traditions, religious practices don't stand still. Um, there's a lot of change in the world. So for example, in understanding religion, spirituality, people are self-identifying and self-defining themselves in, in different ways. So for example, we have this expression, spiritual, but not religious. Mm -hmm. And if we look at the data, at least in, in the U S and likely in other places as well, an increasing number of people are identifying themselves as being spiritual, but not religious. Now, does that mean that they can't have a transcendent experience? Not at all. Um, That's why we talk about not just spiritual transcendence, but even something that we talk about as spiritual atheism. Um, And I think, I think that's one of the attractive points of the book is that we're not just stuck looking at religious practices, behaviors, uh, understandings, but we can go even beyond that. And I think that that's a very powerful and potent part of, of the model. The other thing I want to point out, and we've said it, and we didn't create this idea, but, you know, there's, there's a discussion about the nature of self in terms of what is it. And very much for us, and for many other people, even in neuroscience, it's it's a process. Self is a process. You can't identify it. You can't lock it down and hold it still. Um, and and so that's a very complicated process. And we're trying to understand that process by what happens when that sense of self is lost, and then when it comes back. So you know th- these things are you know exceedingly complicated. Um, but we don't want to get lost in the complications. We want to create a general model that many people from many different areas can explore and utilize productively and to facilitate increasing conversation between um, uh, science and humanities. So for example, one of my next projects will be looking much more in detail at the history of Hinduism and Buddhism vis-a-vis the idea of self and selflessness. Because even though these are sister traditions that have a long uh, uh, collective history, they have very different ideas about this. And yet, I think that their ideas can be understood. First of all, I think they, we can uh, uh, look at them in complementation and then we can explore them looking through uh, neuroscience to see how that plays out. In other words, to, to get to the end of the matter, I think that studying these religious traditions in more detail in that regard will help. Uh, explain things that are coming up in neuroscientific research that are not very well understood and will also help orient neuroscientific research in a more productive manner, at least when exploring self and selflessness.
1: Are you too hopeful that these kind of interdisciplinary projects uh, can become more common or is there just too much sort of in the academy pushing, you know, towards disciplinarity? Mm.
2: I think you brought up a really good point to Joshua about um, uh, the academy, so to speak, academia. Um, yeah, it is tough at times to be interdisciplinary. So here at the University of Missouri, um, it's, it's at least in terms of the rhetoric, it's highly encouraged. And there's a lot of positive uh, sense of this is powerful, and this is how real advances often occur but the actual ability to do it, it's very difficult. We're in a very entrenched disciplinary system and it makes it much harder to reach out from your own discipline and interconnect with others. Um, It's tough in terms of a career sense. So I think, you know, for Brick and I, we've been really, you know, we've struggled to do this and uh, I think, we're starting to show, I, I hope people will read the book and see, hey, this is really potent stuff. This is really powerful. And we should be much more receptive and, you know, listen to these interdisciplinary conversations because uh, they can be really useful both within a discipline and also across disciplines. So I, I think you've, you, you've hit on the nail on the head on a very important aspect of what's going on in terms of scholarly research.
1: Yeah, and I think your book uh, is really a great example of, of what comes about from that inter- interdisciplinary research and the, you know, the value of it. So I hope more people will, will read it. Uh, it's Neuroscience, Selflessness, and Spiritual Experience, Explaining the Science of Transcendence. So thanks to both of you, uh, Dan Cohen and Rick Johnstone, for being on the podcast and for talking to me about it uh, today. Thank you very much. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. To learn more about CTI, visit our website at ctinquiry.org and follow our pages on Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe to this podcast on iTunes and leave us a review.